Hello, everybody. This is Cop On Podcast. You know that. You've just downloaded it, or perhaps you're streaming it somewhere. Absolutely fabulous that you could join us. Um, my name's Owen. I've got four fabulous guests, um, artists all, whether they are masters of the quill or visionaries of the brush. Um, I've got uh, I've got Callie from Callie Designs. I've got Jean, who's a writer uh, for the Morning Star, Britain's or the UK's only socialist daily. Um, I've got Peter Kenny Jones, who's written a, a new book, uh, which is very very exciting. And uh, I've got Yoni Weisberg, who's who's an artist, um, and I'm sure all of our listeners are familiar with the work of these four esteemed guests. And I thought to start. Um, I would read a little poem, uh, a four-line poem, and I love them when they're brief, um, by Helen Louise Birch, called Artist. And it goes like this. Bird, whose eyes I cannot see, whose flight is beautiful, from your wings in passing, bright plumage is drifting down to us. Lovely poem, that, in my opinion. There you go. Well done, Helen Louise Birch. Absolutely super. I'm going to get right into the artist question. I'm going to start with Peter. Peter Kenny Jones, you've got a new book out. Um, I want you to tell our listeners um, what they need to know uh, about this new book, please. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, thanks very much for having me on. Uh, and, yeah, so it's about Billy Little. He's was about 100 in, in January, so January 2022. And basically it's just the story of his life. Um, it's called Billy Little at 100, a family portrait of a Liverpool icon. And it's just to celebrate you know, what he did for football, what he did as a man. And just I've been lucky enough to speak to friends, family, supporters, and just basically share his story, really. I think the main way in was because my auntie's good friends with his sister, uh, Rena Little. So through her, I just started speaking to her, and then she got me in touch with the family members, and then I managed to speak to, obviously, loads of supporters who had seen him, and then a lot of ex-players as well. I've got uh, Ian Callaghan, Jamie Callagher, Alan Hansen, have all done a forward for me, and then I spoke to Gordon Wallace, Gordon Milne, Johnny Morrissey, Jimmy Melia, Keith Birkinshaw, George Scott, Alex Salford, and Alan Banks. So basically, I just want to try and show it's like the, the voice of the people who knew him best, and just try and give it a real personal tale of you know what he was like and on and off the pitch throughout his life. It's an absolutely brilliant project. Um, I will definitely be getting getting a copy because, you know, and uh, you know, in the last couple of days, it's 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 broken the very sad news um, that uh, Terry McDermott is not very well, and uh, you know, we send him and his family all the very very best, um, and you know, lots of love to them. Um, but you know, there are a lot of younger fans, um, or you know, even people like me, forty-one years old, who, who never actually got to see Terry McDermott play, and and have only watched the highlights, the incredible goals and the incredible skills. But then Billy Liddle came from a time where there wasn't that much, uh, you know, there weren't that many highlights packages, uh, and uh, you know, you couldn't really, um, you know, you can't really see a lot of you know, what he gave to the club. Um, so, you know, do, do you think that was that was a particular challenge, Peter, about, you know, trying to, trying to represent the exact, you know, they called it Liddlepool after all. His, his, his effect on the club was absolutely, um, you know, incredible. 
So, you know, was that something that was that you particularly enjoyed, that challenge of putting all of all of his brilliant uh, legacy into words? Yeah, well, I've said it a few times. It's a, it's a lot easier that most of the people have seen him are dead, so no one can, um, can check up on whether I'm wrong or not. But, um, basically, I think just by, by getting to watch little clips that you can see, obviously with the, the Pathy News and the movie tone and stuff, you can't really get a full picture of what the game was like, but... I think just how heavily involved he is in pretty much every you know big game that but they did show. He plays off to show how influential he was, and it's just yeah, it's just been an interesting way of doing it. Because obviously, just there isn't loads and loads of footage, there isn't game after game to watch. But obviously, by reading the newspaper reports and by speaking to people, that's why I think with this one, it's it's so important to speak to the amount of people that I've tried to speak to because you know it, it's a period of football that's on the brink of going extinct, really. So just to be able to bring it to a new audience and you know myself I'm, I'm 26 and obviously I'd never seen him play and he was my my dad's dad's hero but he never got to see him play either so um, it's just trying to make sure that the memories of the people who, who saw them you know that they can that can be shared and then hopefully introduce them to a new audience and just showing why he's so revered why they were called Liverpool why he's one of the seven people with a bench outside Anfield and yeah just just trying Make sure his legacy lives on, and I think a hundred years is a, is a good time to do it. It's beautiful, and 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 you know through the written words, I mean, it's 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 wonderful how you know the his story can can be given to uh, the next uh, to the new generations and generations to come. So, how can our listeners uh, get a copy of the book, please, Peter? Yeah, so it's on like all the the major booksellers like Amazon, Waterstones, W H Smith. Um, comes out in November. I've done um a little thing on my website where basically you can get it through me which obviously helps me because I feel a bigger proportion of it because obviously we sell it directly which would be nice but I've also done like little pre-order bundles so I've tried to get some of the the programs from the biggest games of his career so like the 1950 FA Cup final his testimonial some of the games from the 46-47 league winning uh, campaign and uh, yeah, just stuff like that and his little brother had an autograph book which I've managed managed to copy and like reproduce so it's all like the the biggest players from the fifties really and nobody played for the Great Britain side and that's so that's all available. So if you go through my website that'd be great for me or if you want to read it just however you want to get it, it'd be great. But yeah Amazon WH Smith Waterstones or if you go on my website on Twitter just at Peter Kenny Jones it's probably the easiest way to get it and it just goes through there all the links are on that. Excellent stuff and I will put your your link in the uh, description of this podcast so listeners you can just click there as well um, absolutely super yeah I mean you know this is this is great stuff um, there you go um, talking about uh, you know the myths and legends and and things like that uh, we also we have uh, I don't know we have two legendary artists Liverpool artists I'm going to start with Yoni Yoni you've been a busy man recently you've been doing loads of stuff for the Euros tell our listeners about all of your your latest projects and all the exciting stuff that's been happening please uh, yeah I've had loads of really exciting stuff on the go lately it's been a really good um, summer of football for me I am um, somewhat facetiously like to say that um, a lot of the biggest moments of football have kind of had my name on them in the past few months I managed to work on illustrations for the club directly for the last game of last season and the first game of this season which was an amazing thing to do and then yeah did some work for the Champions League final and did the Euros titles for the BBC which obviously like 
as an artist and I'm also a filmmaker working in commercials, um, you know, with a massive love of football, that kind of thing is an absolute dream come true. So to be able to produce a piece of work like that and know that, you know, over the course of the tournament, it's been seen over 100 million times is kind of mind blowing, really. So that was a, a wonderful project, kind of a long gestating thing, because we originally started work on that, as I'm sure you can imagine, um, like last March, um, just before the pandemic really kind of took its grip. So we were already underway with that project. And then obviously the Euros got delayed. And then 12 months later, we got another phone call saying, can we pick that up and get it sorted in the, the next six to eight weeks? So it was really exciting to be able to come back to that and then to see it on TV in front of all those massive games was amazing. Uh, and then obviously alongside that kind of got a lot of personal projects on the go as well, like to um, always have something that is just purely mine and kind of created from my own, <clears throat> my own want to do it. So, you know, a lot of the L LFC pieces I do are just um, me in my own time, kind of finding the inspiration, finding the things that um, I want to produce, figuring those out and then putting them out there to see how people react. It's excellent stuff. It's excellent stuff. Um, and, you know, like our other guests, Callie, you you have a very particular, um, like, recognisable style, which is which I mean in the, you know, um, most complimentary way possible. Um, did it take a very long time to sort of find your own I mean if it was uh, you know if you were a singer I would say you found your own voice but you know that kind of thing where you know you, you you've got a recognizable style it must have taken a, a lot of work to get to that point right it's really interesting for me because I think when um you know when I started kind of doing this more professionally which was only within like the last 18 months um I certainly wouldn't have imagined that I had a particularly distinctive style certainly not the level of Callie's where I think his are so unique and um, you know they would stand out amongst any number of pieces you'd be able to spot his but then seeing people like react to it you know when I release stuff professionally like when I did the Champions League artwork um, and that got released or I did the cover for these football times and that had like a little teaser image you know people that follow my work kind of responding to it uninstigated um, saying that they could tell it was mine was amazing to see because I think I hadn't really recognized um, that I had a particular style. I think naturally, like my background, um, when it comes to like my education, going back to um, the end of high school and college, I studied graphic design and, and art for a while. And I think my love of design specifically really kind of feeds into my pieces. I think I try and make sure that as well as the illustration work, that then the composition and the way that it's put together, um, you know, somewhat after the fact that the, the pen strokes are finished, but then bring it into something like Photoshop or, or an equivalent to put it together. It kind of has um, a real sense of cohesion about it and make sure that it feels really tight as a finished piece. I think I kind of feel quite a bit of pressure, I guess, knowing that people enjoy the work and that they want it up in their own houses and on their walls. I think I try and always have that in mind. I think my point of view on everything that I do is like, I want it to be something I'd want on my wall. Now, I don't I don't have many of my own pieces up, but I always make sure that I think of it like if I objectively saw this on somebody else's store or on somebody else's social media, would I want to buy that? And I think that's kind of maybe where that kind of distinction comes into it, because I'm kind of just making stuff that I love myself. So everything, I guess, is just driven by my own taste. And perhaps that's where like the recognizable style comes from. 
super answer absolutely well it's it's all really good if you don't know yoni stuff check it out check it out and that's a really good way of um you know looking at the process uh you know would you would you uh you know would you be happy to see it on someone else's social media would you be happy to buy it would you be happy to have it on your wall a guy an artist whose uh, work i would love to have absolutely everywhere is cali cali designs.co.uk um we've got some exciting news uh cali but i don't want us i don't want you to sh- talk about it just yet because i'm going to do a separate announcement about this but stay tuned to cop on podcast listeners i'm getting so excited i can barely talk but Kelly's here. Well, tell us about your latest projects, Kelly, please. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think just slightly differently from from Yoni. Uh, so I've not really um, been been involved in the commercial route of um, of the art side. So I'm I'm more independent seller, if you like, um, than, than a lot of artists who do do, do that commercial work. Um, obviously, I create the artwork, like Yoni said quite quite brilliantly is that I create work that I have either idolised in the past from people who have scored amazing goals or there's been just that many amazing moments in sport that I like to recreate them in print format on t-shirts um, by using the artwork that I'm lucky enough to be able to do. So um, yeah, I have my website, calidesigns.co.uk. I create projects solely for that um and it's again it's just sort of an independent business that i didn't really plan on happening uh, it sort of just grew from sharing my work online it, 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 there was really no no plan to turn it into a brand or to turn it into anything but it's sort of just the, the popularity has sort of grown over the past 12 months really um to the point where it is now and um all of my next projects are just again there's no there's no real plan there it's just i'm going to continue to put out artwork that i like that is based on moments that i you know had some sort of connection to in sport um and that will that will evidently lead to a number of different products like i said it's it, it can be t-shirts it's prints um recently got into um creating nfts which is something you might not know about some people do do seem to know a lot about it and others don't and it's, it's pretty new uh, it's a pretty new product on on the blockchain which i won't go too in, into too much detail about because <laughs> we'd be here all day um but yeah just just any moments that i find inspirational to me is what is what i'm going to continue to put out there really no it's absolutely superb it's a superb answer as well thank you very much um and speaking of moments uh, you know, uh, inspirational moments. Uh, Jean, Jean is with us. Jean is a writer, and Jean, um, I, I mean, you were at the game yesterday, uh, as as was um, Yoni and and as was Peter, and um, I, I imagine it was very a lot of inspiration. You know, uh, singing "You'll Never Walk Alone" before kickoff, that kind of thing. Welcome back to Cop on Podcast. Um, are you inspired? I mean, have you been inspired? Have you have you been writing a lot recently? Are you going to write? 
Hi, hi. Thanks a lot, Owen. Um, and, and firstly, can I just say it's an honour to be in the company uh, on the show of such talented individuals. I, I, I've followed you all on Twitter, by the way, already, as you all uh, told your piece. So, um, so yeah, please follow back and I'll definitely be following your work going forward as well. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, was at the game yesterday uh, in, a, in a supporting capacity, if I have to say. Um, I wasn't there in a professional capacity. Uh, I covered the Norwich-Liverpool game at Carrow Road um, uh, for the Morning Star. Uh, to the first game of the season and I, it, it's quite a painful experience sitting opposite the travelling cop listening to them sing Si Senor and, uh, and you, can't, uh, you can't get involved you can probably tell by my voice that I fully got involved yesterday as a, as a fan and it was, it was great to be back uh, in the stadium uh, for a Premier League game full of fans. I was there for the Atletico uh, Bilbao game as well, uh, the Sunday uh, friendly uh, a week or so ago, um, but this one was really yeah, this was really the, uh, the the icing on the cake. Being back in the stadium with with all the fans, the expectation, and obviously the, uh, if you like, the the hope of uh, of what the season can bring going forward. Excellent. Well, let's get into the game. Let's. I'm I'm going to stay with you, Gene, because um, there are so many positives. There are so many places we could start, um, but I want to start talking about the Burnley game in in the fifty third minute. It's a moment that. I, I, I read my notes because I take notes when I watch all the matches now just because there's so much that I forget. And in the 53rd minute, Virgil van Dijk won a header from a Burnley corner um, and then he cleared the ball. The ball was cleared. Uh, and the whole, you know, our, our team, we almost, almost broke away. It was almost one of those lightning Liverpool breaks, but Burnley managed to win the ball back and immediately launched it towards our goal in a long ball sort of Sean Dyche way and big Virgil had organized the defense so the whole team pushed up so they were so they were caught offside Burnley were caught offside and 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 the whole you know situation I just described just took a just took a few seconds but just to have Virgil there this presence who can win dangerous corners ahead of them miles away um, you know almost launch a counter-attack but then move the whole defence up. It's just basically one of the many, many examples uh, from yesterday where I, I just thought, Gene, um, gosh, it's freaking marvellous to have Virgil back. Uh, what do you make of what do you make of this situation that Virgil is is back on the field? Yeah, it's it, it's really great to have him back. You're, you're right. I've got to be honest with you. I think um, uh, before the Norwich game, I was uh, I was not expecting him to start that game. I thought uh, Jurgen probably would have gone with a, a Canate Matip. Uh, partnership because they've played most of the games probably uh, they've probably got the most minutes under their belt during the pre-season friendlies um, but it was it was a it was a, a welcoming sight seen back uh, in the starting lineup against Norwich I did feel that uh, there was a lot of signs of you know, a little bit of ring rust as would be expected he's not really played a competitive game for uh, around 10 months or so um, and there was a particular moment actually in the Norwich game if I could just refer to that where um, I think it was Todd Cantwell uh, lofted the ball just over Virgil's head into the path of um, uh, Timo Puki, uh, and he was in on goal and, and, and luckily fired straight to Allison. But at that point, and again, I think what will happen is I think uh, myself as well as many fans and pundits will probably overanalyze Virgil's performances now just to see whether he's actually the same Virgil, obviously, um, that he was prior to the injury. Um, but I think, as you've rightly said, Owen, I think just his presence alone within the back four provides calm, provides composure, provides a sense of security, which we probably, well, we definitely didn't have last last season with obviously the, the multiple changes of defensive partnerships. Um, I think you'll find with Virgil, as you say, uh, verbally he's a great organiser. We all know that. 
in the air, he's still got that prowess there. And I think he, he was quite dangerous at our uh, attacking corners as well uh, 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 yesterday. And actually, there was, a, there was a particular moment where he, he cushioned a header to, uh, to Mane and actually went for the return to, to maybe get a strike off on goal. And Mane actually turned away and tried to get a shot off himself. And even that instinct and that sharpness, it just, it just showed that every 90 minutes that Virgil gets under his belt, he'll get sharper and sharper. But I must say, that even with that 10-month layoff, both Norwich and Burnley, they made very distinct uh, um, uh, 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 attempts to play towards the Matic channel, to keep the ball away from Virgil. A lot of the long balls they were playing was in towards the Matic channel, maybe seeing Matic as the, as the weaker link of the two. So even with his 10 months out, teams still are showing him, uh, showing Virgil a lot of respect in terms of saying, well, if we're going to attack, we're probably going to get more joy down the, the right-hand channel of Liverpool uh, uh, in Matip's channel than, um, than uh, down the left-hand channel. But I have to say Matip stood up to, to both tests uh, against Norwich and against Burnley um, tremendously. He, 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 I think, uh, obviously, Virgil's return has probably overshadowed Matip's performances, because I think Matip's performances have been really spot-on as well over the last, uh, over the last two games. You're absolutely right. It's a superb answer. Yeah, Joel Matip has been brilliant. Um, the great thing about him, he's 30 years old and he knows exactly what he's doing at all times now. And it's it's beautiful to see. It's beautiful. Callie, I'm going to go in a reverse direction. Callie, um, last week against Norwich... Um, you know, we, we, we sort of, you know, huffed and puffed for a while and then Diogo Jota uh, had one chance and scored one goal. And then yesterday we sort of huffed and puffed for the first 18 minutes and then Diogo Jota had one chance and scored one goal again, um, thus fully justifying uh, his inclusion to start ahead of Bobby Firmino. How excited are you about Diogo Slaughter? Yeah, yeah, it, it was it was good to see. I, I was I was talking to a couple of the guys yesterday about him, and he he is that player where he he will be quiet the whole game, but he'll get his goal. Do you know what I mean? And having having that that capability on the pitch is massive. And this is coming from from Bobby Firmino's biggest fan. <laughs> um, yesterday, I I expected Bobby to to start to drop deep to pull that defence out, which obviously was just going to be a packed back four. And we all knew that was going to happen. I thought Bobby being able to come short and and bring them out so the wide the wide um, players could could get in behind would have been would have been tremendous. But um, I've got to give it to Jota. He's he, he's you know he's keeping Bobby on the bench for now. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be um, long term. But it's good to see that competitiveness. Um, and you know I think the dynamic of the team is completely different with both players in them. To be honest, but. Um, yeah, he, I can't can't say a bad word about Jota. You know everything he's done so far. He seems like a goal machine, and long may it continue. Yeah, totally, totally. Diogo Jota. I mean, it's just it's just one of these things where you know if Bobby's not in the team, and me too, I freaking love Bobby, and in you know it's completely adore the guy. But uh, you know it's one of these things you could just relax if you see Jota starting in front. Uh, in, in ahead of Bobby, Bobby on the bench because you just think, well, yeah, there's nothing to doubt here. Wonderful players. Uh, Gene, wanted to come in? Yeah, I, I just wanted to add to that. To be honest with you, um, I, I, I was having a conversation this morning actually in one of my one of my LFC WhatsApp groups around around that and uh, the the conversation about Bobby or Jota. Now, for me, I don't think it's a it's a Bobby or Jota in terms of 
who is the 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 uh, the nailed on starter for every single game. I think what we have now, we have a beautiful option. One of the many criticisms maybe that a lot of Liverpool fans maybe had for our front three is that we didn't have an out and out striker. We didn't have that striker with a real number nine instinct to really play on the shoulder of defenders, nip in front of defenders, and you know nip a little uh, uh, near post header into into the far corner. And I think we've got that with Jota now. I think Jota is displayed not just for Liverpool but also on the international stage this 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 instinct to just know where the ball's going to land and if you look at his movement yesterday uh, as costas wound up to to deliver a, a, another amazing cross by the way i think i think costas has been really good in terms of his final third deliveries over the last couple of games as well but as costas wound up jota just had that instinct to just nip in front of the burnley defender and the burnley defender didn't even know he was there so by the time the burnley defender can react the ball's in the back of the net i think Firmino, and i i think Callie, you, you mentioned it perfectly actually that Firmino is that 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 almost false number nine that likes to drop a little bit deeper and even in the in the in his penalty box play he will more than likely pull out for the pullback and, and look for an effort goal from there whereas Jota seems to have that number nine instinct that I think we've kind of been crying out for over the last two three seasons um, uh, and so for me I think we've got beautiful options dependent on the opposition uh, again as Callie mentioned you know for more packed uh, uh, you know back fours where maybe they're looking to block our playing channels in front of the back four as well We've got different options between Firmino and, and Jota, and I think we're in a really strong position uh, in that front. And obviously, the fact that Jota can obviously play on either either flank as well. So, um, but I was I was I was glad to see him get his goal again yesterday. Uh, you know, he's, he's got that instinct: one one chance, one goal, and that's exactly what we need, especially in some of those tight tighter games when we come up against the uh, the other challengers for the title. Beautifully said. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. It's a great. Uh, we're in such a great position. So many. So many, many positives. Um, but uh, let's, I mean, let's just focus on the goals for now. Um, so, Yoni, that first goal, you had a lovely view, a delicious view of uh, Costas Simikas's cross. Actually, no, let's just talk about Costas. Why the hell not? Um, he had four key passes yesterday, nine crosses. Four of them were accurate. Um, he had 74.4% passing accuracy, which is pretty good considering how attacking he was and how much he you know he tried to influence the game um yeah 39 passes in total uh who scored gave him a rating of 8.21 which is crazy because normally they're really stingy with their um ratings he had three successful tackles one successful interception three successful clearances he was good in defense he was good in attack um afterwards i made a salad and i made sure that i put an extra dollop of tzatziki on my salad in in tribute to Costa Simikas. Um, Yoni, what kind of tributes uh, did you do, even in your mind, uh, to our Greek uh, god at left back? I think like there's there's so many things that I could say about his performance in the last few games. You know, I think we all saw that kind of progression um, during preseason, and I think even before Robo's injury, you know, we all started to appreciate the fact that we've got all of a sudden an incredibly astute a backup left back, but I think he's kind of just had that time to shine, hasn't he? I think um, one of the things that I love about him, which I know like lots of people have spoken about on Twitter and um, and around the the coverage of the game, is like it's not his delivery is incredible. That like, you know that that is so easy to see, but he is such a warrior. He hustles all the time. Like you know he's constantly harassing any opposition player that's near him he doesn't give them a moment to breathe he's got so much energy I think one of the best things I could say about him is 
he's got a lot of Robbo about him. You know, I think there's a lot of similarities in terms of just how aggressive they both play the game, how much they both want to always be on the front foot. I don't think as of yet he's quite as solid um, at the back, but I think that'll come in time because he's just, you know, he, up until this season, he didn't have many minutes playing in any sort of settled back four. Um, but I think um, he just looks like an absolute gem of a player. I think when we all signed, when we signed him last year, I think there was a somewhat collective um, moment of, I have no clue who this guy is or what is, what his game is about, but getting the opportunity to see what it's about. I think you can see all of the qualities he brings on the pitch. And I think his delivery on the day was, you know, second only to Trent and, Trend might be one of the best two passes of the ball in the world. So um, I don't think that's anything but a compliment. Yeah, great answer. Yeah, Trent's delivery uh, in, in context. I mean, Trent was phenomenal yesterday. He got whoscored.com's man of the match. Uh, not my man of the match. My man of the match is Virgil. We can talk about, we can debate who we want as man of the match because it could have been any of them. Could have been Alisson, why not? Uh, but yeah, Trent's passing. He had seven key passes compared to Simikas's four um, 66 passes in total compared to Simikas' 39. Trent had 12 crosses, five of them were accurate, uh, seven long balls, three of them were accurate, um, two through balls, and they were both accurate. I mean, he was he was he was doing madness. He was making madness. Um, Peter, Peter, I'm going to come to you because the second goal, right? I like I like to talk about dreams and cop on podcasts. We are big embracers of dreams, and I'm sure you're the same as as me and many other Liverpool fans. In that, occasionally you might actually actually in real life uh, go to sleep and really dream that you're a Liverpool player. I've done it a few times, right? I've done it a few times where I've scored winning goals against Manchester United and woken up thinking, "Wow!" I remember once hitting the bar against Manchester United and us drawing the game and it was my fault and uh, so even in my dreams I'm not that good at football which is much closer to reality uh, but anyway I digress the second goal if you're dreaming right and you dream that you're Virgil and you can play this long arcing beautiful cross crossfield pass excuse me out to the wing then that would be a great dream and then if you're dreaming, imagine you're dreaming and you're Harvey Elliott, you're 18 years old, making your full Premier League debut in front of a full Anfield. First home game of the season, first home game with a full ground back and you're right next to this crowd. The crowd's behind you, you're right next to them on the touchline and you take these two exquisite touches with your chest to bring that ball down and then play it inside towards Trent. And, and, and then imagine... You're dreaming that you're Trent and you're dreaming that the ball's coming towards you. This 18-year-old has just played a beautiful pass after a beautiful control inside and you're not even looking, but you know that Sadio Mane's there and you just caress this sort of spinning first-time pass through onto Sadio Mane's, into Sadio Mane's path. And then imagine Sadio Mane, you've seen all this move, and this is the dream where you're, you're through on goal, the defence is nowhere, this ball is just bounced once and it's the perfect height to volley it, and you absolutely welly it for all, with all that you have into the bottom of the net and the crowd goes wild and the game is more or less done at that point. Um, that would be a heck of a dream. Uh, which role would you like to play 
in that dream, Peter, would you like to be any of those players? Because they were all, it was it was a gorgeous goal, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, well, I play centre-back myself, so I can take Virgil. I, I wouldn't mind being him. I'd be a bit taller, a bit more handsome than I am right now as well, so that would all be good. But I think, you know, you can't, to think to score on field, you know, the feeling must be amazing. I was lucky enough that I was mascot when I was 10 or 11, Sammy Appear passed me the ball and I put it in the cop end and that was good enough. So imagine the feeling of doing it in a game because uh, you can't imagine it, can you really? It would be amazing. And even you know, that was only Burnley at home. Imagine doing it and you're doing, you know, that Barcelona goal. Imagine being Divock Origi or Ryan Alton scoring that. You could just surely they would close their eyes sometimes and just take them back to that moment because they're yeah, unbelievable. And you say the move was so good and I think though just to touch on Harvey Elliott as well, how how good he was yesterday. I think, you know, he's you can tell he's a proper Liverpool fan. He he obviously he gets it. I know he's not from Liverpool but he's he's definitely a proper fan. And I think the way he went to Blackburn and you know was happy to step down a division and, and get his experience and I think even to Klopp as well. I don't I don't know how many other managers in the league would play. An eighteen-year-old, you know, with the, the size of him, you know, he's, he's not like he's a big dominating centre midfielder. He's he's small, he's slight, but to to have the confidence to play him in there and and just say go on, go and do his stuff. Obviously, he did it in pre-season and he impressed him, and he, he took his chance. And I think just to to go and play like he did yesterday was amazing. And you know, he's a, I think we're lucky to have him, and I think he's at the right temperament. I don't think he's going to be someone that if he's on the bench for 10, 15 games a season, he's going to start kicking off. I think he knows he's got to wait. Wait for his chance to come again and just keep impressing when he gets it. And yeah, it's an exciting future with him. And hopefully, Curtis Jones can step up a little bit more this season. And them two can be competing for a place for how many years to go. It'll be great if we have two proper Liverpool fans you know, in the team and both very talented. Take them stone, you know, that'd be amazing if, the, if that could happen. Absolutely. I mean, Harvey Elliott, there, there was a compilation of, of, of his game by the brilliant CF underscore comps do give him a, a follow on Twitter as well and, and he put on a put up a, a compilation of, of, of Harvey Elliott versus Burnley and 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 to me um anyone can jump in on this but to me Harvey Elliott the, the role I think he's found his role or rather Jurgen and the team have found the role for him that he's he's a sort of you know he's an Iniesta type number eight where he's gonna link uh, do all sorts of things and attack and contribute when 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 he can, defensively. But um, you know this this type of role where he's there to 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 link things and and to see him in midfield. I think it suits him a lot more where he's sort of a link between Trent and Mo Salah going forward. And it's so freaking exciting. Who wants to talk to me about Harvey Elliott? Yeah, I have to say, uh, I, I agree with you there, Owen. I think um, when he first came to us, I, I thought he was really an outside attacker. So, you know, uh, uh, if you like, a, in the in the, in the Mo Salah kind of mould. And I found that he probably lacked a bit of pace for that for that role for me. He didn't quite have that that burst of speed that allows you to to go by a, a fullback and then, you know, uh, allowing the space then to get a, get a cross in or, you know, have an attempt at goal. But I think now seeing him in that middle three, seeing him just buzzing around and he, and he works that channel beautifully on the right, uh, just in front of, of, uh, of Trent and just behind Salah and the interchange, just amazing. I mean, I was I, I was on the clock for the Bilbao game and, you know, some of the passes that he played with the outside of his left, just to, just to spin the ball into the path of 
of Salah's run behind the fullback was just it was just gorgeous to see. Um, I, 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 and what we're now seeing is we're seeing a confidence in him. I think his decision making is a lot better. He's playing with a much more mature head. I think before he went out on loan to Blackburn, you could see he still had that kind of youthful exuberance and, and enthusiasm, but that probably got a little bit better of him in terms of some of the decision-making that he was making on the pitches when he made, obviously, the odd appearance. Obviously, you know, uh, a couple of seasons later and after, is uh, you know, the, the, the great experience he would have got in the championship and a very successful loan speller at Blackburn as well. We're now starting to see the fruits of, uh, of his labour. Um, you know, the way he pounced on certain uh, loose balls yesterday and, and really tried to run at players. I remember, I think it was Ben Mee that took him down just outside the box where he was running directly at the uh, at the, at the defence. And it's nice to have that from our central midfield. I think, for me anyway, and maybe a, a lot of other Liverpool fans, we saw Cater as that person who would pick the ball up and drive at the back four and really commit the defenders and hopefully free up a run for one of the front three. We haven't really seen that consistently from Cater, but I think in the in the first two games and and, all, and definitely a couple of the preseason games, yeah, I'm really excited to see Harvey. I think he provides that creative spark. He's got he can see a pass, and he's also got the confidence to run at players as well from that deep position. And um, yeah, really exciting to see how he uh, how he develops going forward. Excellent answer. Yeah, totally, totally. At the beginning of the summer. Um... We did a sort of pre-season uh, or post-season, you know, between in that no man's land, uh, you know, the, the between seasons where, um, you know, I said that if we don't sign a midfielder, I'd actually be a little bit angry because I'm not normally, uh, I don't normally question the decisions of, of our recruitment team or FSG. I'm, I'm far from being an FSG outer or anything like that because I think they've they've made mistakes, but they've done they've done very well. But I was the thing that would you know, really worry me about our midfielders. You know, let's be realistic. Uh, Cater, Henderson, Fabinho, Milner, Oxlade-Chamberlain, they're all injury prone. Um, and if they all get injuries at the same time, what are we going to do? But now we've got Curtis, we've got Harvey Elliott, and you'd think maybe there'd be at least one other midfielder. What do you think you know, in our team already, excuse me, I'll finish that sentence. One other midfielder in our, t- in our squad already who can who would be fit enough to start. I mean, Thiago is also another one who's, um, you know, injury prone. Uh, so I don't know, Callie, would you, do you think we definitely need to sign another midfielder or, or would you be happy enough with the squad the way it is? Yeah, I, I, it's, it's a hard one to, to tell really. With all of the players you just mentioned, you know, there's a lot of players there. I think in terms of midfield depth, there's not many other teams in the Premiership that have got that many quality players that are, are available at some point of the season. So I think we're, we're privileged if, like you said, they can stay fit. But I, I think just last season, the way it shook us a, a little bit, it's, it's made us fear that, you know, we could have all of those players out at one point. And realistically, that's not going to happen. Do you know what I mean? I think just because the freak season that it was last year, it happened to our, you know, defence. Realistically, I can't see that happening again. I think if we did sign someone else for that, you know, for that central midfield role or for any any part of it, I think it'd only add to it. But I just think we've got a lot to see from the players that we've currently got. I mean, Fabinho for me, for me is he's he's the best in the world at what he does and. He, he he very rarely played there last season. I, I think I think if he 
I think he won every game that he played in in that position, if I'm not mistaken. I think, obviously, there's people on here with better stats than me, but um, from what I remember, I can't remember us even drawing a game with him in that position. So I think we're lucky at the same time. You know, I'd welcome another signing, but it's not something that um, I'm, I'm, I'm too concerned about. Yeah, I'm not sure offhand what what the Fabinho stats are, but I'll I'll try and uh, I'll try and have a look now for you. But um, in in the meantime, some Harvey Elliott stats for you. He had two shots yesterday, uh, compared to the, his his midfield colleagues. Naby Keita had one. Uh, Jordan Henderson had one. Harvey Elliott had two. Um, uh, Jordan Henderson touched the ball 82 times and he had a 90.4% passing accuracy, whereas Harvey touched the ball 77 times and had 83.3 percent passing accuracy crazy for an 18 year old so he's touching the ball 77 times uh, in his 90 minutes and and in, in context the the quieter games for Gini Vinealdon where people used to you know level things at him like uh, like he was he was invisible he was a ghost and things like that we never sunk to those low levels in in on cop on but at the same time you do kind of know what, what they're coming from because I remember he used to post things like 29 touches of the ball in 90 minutes even last week for PSG I was looking up he made 38 touches of the ball so Harvey Elliott to have 77 touches of the ball is absolutely insane uh, Naby Keita had 59 touches in his 80 minutes and uh, Naby Keita um, I'll go to Peter next Naby Keita to see him back and to see him feel, I don't know, it's just a feeling. He feels like he's much more part of the, the team, like he's happy. There are great photos of him having a good old laugh with, with Kloppo, at the, I think it was at the final whistle. Um, and he seems a real part of this team and it's just, it's, it's heartwarming to see him out there on the pitch and uh, being so quietly devastating. Uh, what do you make of Nabby Lad? It's a bit hard for him, hasn't it? Really, I think if he left today, it'd be you know I think it's the only transfer the club's made. I think people could really say you know it wasn't worth the money or whatever. But I think he just hasn't had that run of games. He hasn't had. He's definitely had the chances, but I think he's just not been fit enough to take them really. And I think what he's really good at is like off the ball, is pressing and winning it back, and he's dead energetic in the middle. And he, yeah, I just think. He's an exciting player, and I think the Palace game a couple of years ago, Palace away, I remember watching that and thinking, you know, fight, you know, he's come here, we've, we've seen the navigator, we signed, and I think he's definitely worth having, and he definitely played better yesterday, and it's it's good to have him back, but I just think he just needs to do a bit more when he, when he gets the chance, and both, if you look at it from him, he never really gets to win the games. I think him and Oxley Chamberlain are similar, obviously. Klopp can only do so much if they if they get injured so often. So you know you have to you play them when you can, but you you can't rely on them. But that's that's what the frustrating bit is. So it's good that he's played two games in a row. You know, he, he's getting some minutes in, and you know Thiago's not fully fit yet. And obviously with Fabinho, what's happened with him off the pitch? You don't, you don't know when he'll be back, and it might be good just to see him play another game. You know, I don't think we'd be so upset to see him play against Chelsea and just keep getting stuck in and when they're back. I think that high pressures. Definitely something that we've obviously we're well known for it, but definitely something that we've seemed to have worked on over the summer as well. I think he's he's a big part of that. He's known as I say that he's got a lot of legs in there. And if you've got, got him and Henderson, you know you're not going to lose many battles in in terms of legs in the middle. So I'm happy to have him, and I think he's someone who takes a chance. Which you know you're saying about Wijnaldum there, and 
I, I, I love him definitely, but some of the criticism that he was getting last season was, you know, he doesn't try and take a man on or make a chance. And, you know, if you've got Harvey Elliott and him, and they just try and unlock defences, you know, in those tight games against the Burnley at home and stuff like that, you need players who are willing to take a chance. And, yeah, I just hope it goes well for him. I think we all do, don't we? So I think he just gets a few games in, doesn't get injured, and hopefully the, the player that we all thought we'd signed will come out soon and consistently. Yeah, just keeping him injury free. That's the only thing that will uh, that that can stop him is is you know injuries and oh man, I, I, if if he can get you know twenty thirty, if we get thirty games out of our fifty or however many we're going to play this season, if he's involved in half of them, I'd be delighted because I just love watching the guy. I love it. Um, the guy we we talked about already a little bit, uh, Yoni was the other fullback. We talked about Costas, but Trent, Trent, Trent was doing some crazy things. But there's just a stat I want to bring to your attention that um, I saw today on Twitter at LFC Latch. So do give him a follow. Um, it took a while for it to sink in, Yoni, but Trent Alexander-Arnold now has the same amount of Premier League assists as Cristiano. Ronaldo made for Manchester United and Trent has played 65 fewer matches. So Cristiano Ronaldo in his just for Manchester United in the Premier League made 196 appearances. Um, Trent has made 131 for Liverpool and they both have 34 assists to their name. Trent's a right back, Yoni. I, I, I don't know if that stat has really sunk in and I've been thinking about it for a few hours since I read it. Um, it's it's actually madness how good Trent is, isn't it? I think, yeah, I totally agree with that last part. I think it is madness how good Trent is. I think um, he's probably already the best in his position in the world. Um, certainly by far the best in the Premier League. Uh, and I think for him to be doing that, you know, when he is still a young player, I think he's been part of one of the best teams in Europe now for so long that people forget how young he is. I think personally, I think I, I would say the Ronaldo stat, like, you know, that's obviously like a headline grabbing kind of thing. But I personally think Trent's so good. You don't need to compare him to someone else to to highlight that, really. I think you can see it in the way he plays. I think assist, his assists are amazing. But, you know, I think he brings so much to the game. He's so, so smart with how he uses the ball. Um, I think he sees passes that no one else does on the pitch. I think that was one of the most amazing things about seeing him and Elliot down that right-hand side yesterday was they both kind of have that vision. Obviously, Harvey's is going to take some more time to develop, but they both look at the game in a way that I think you'd probably only say Thiago matches when it comes to the Liverpool squad. But I think it's undoubted that um, Trent is an incredible player and un, un otherworldly talent. Um, I think... One thing I would say is, I, you know, there's always been within our fan base this kind of call for him to make his move into midfield. But like when it comes to when we're in possession of the ball, he basically is a midfielder. He plays right. He, he plays like a traditional right midfield role. I'm sure if you were to look at like go back and look at the heat maps of someone like David Beckham at Man United, um, you know, back in the 90s and the early 2000s, I reckon you'd see similar positional play to him and Trent. I think our system means that he absolutely dominates the ball and he basically runs the game from the right back position. And I'd say that one of the reasons why he is so like by far 
um, the best player in that position in the world, in my opinion, uh, is because of our system and the way that the system almost seems tailored to allow the fullbacks to do so much. Um, and then, you know, we have really hardworking midfielders, especially in the number six position, that then um, you get the centre-backs to spread. They drop in and they kind of cover for those guys. But I think it's incredible to see that he basically still continues to exceed our expectations, despite the fact that our expectations are already so high. Like, you know, the the pass for Mane's goal was just ridiculous. Like, you know, the spin he put on it, and then obviously Mane's finish was amazing. Um, I think it's it's like we're still seeing him progress, and I don't know how much farther he can go when he's already so good. It's It makes me all jiggly thinking about it. It makes me all, um, you know, just the... the um... The fires in my in my heartstrings it makes them roar. Just thinking of of how how where you know again dreams dreaming about where Trent can go and and what he can do in the game because he's already yeah as you say um, defied comparison by being a standout genius. Uh, speaking of geniuses, Gene, we have genius with us. Uh, Gene, um, uh, the. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, and sorry, the Fabinho stat, the Fabinho stat that I found, sorry, going back to what Kelly was saying before, um, with, with Fabinho starting in midfield since 2018-19, uh, we've played, We sorry, this is true as of June this year, so now there's a couple of extra games, but whatever. Um, we played more or less, <laughs> in June we had played 53 matches, we had won 41 of them, we had drawn 8 of them, we had lost only four of them with Fabinho starting in midfield. So that's a win rate of 77.4%. We lost only 7.5% of matches with Fabinho in midfield since he joined the club. And without Fabinho starting in midfield, we had played 61 games before June when this article came out. Uh, we had won 41 of them, drawn 11 and lost nine. So that's a win rate of 67.2%. Um, which is still a bit crazy, to be honest. It tells you how good the team is with or without him. But with him in midfield, with some 10%, we win 10% more of our matches. And that's, um, I mean, it's overly simplistic because, you know, there are lots of factors going into who else is available and all that stuff. But um, but that does tell you things about Fabinho and his importance to the team. Um, Gene, I'm going to, I'm going to, we've got to sort of wrap things up. I've just got one more question I'm going to ask. Uh, probably all of you, um, but I'm going to start with Gene. Um, uh, two years ago, we got 99 points. The season before that, we got 97 points. But the 99-point season, um, it wasn't that long ago. Just in between, of course, we had a season wherein we played our 8th and ninth choice centre-back, our 4th and 5th choice and sixth and seventh choice midfielders at times and um it was an absolute um shit show of a season uh in many respects but now with the addition compared to that that 99 point season we've got we've now got Jota we've now got Thiago we've now got Costas Simikas we've now got a more uh, refined Curtis Jones we've got this new emerging talent of Harvey Elliott of course we've lost Genie and that is a big loss that is a big loss but my question is Gene do you think we're actually potentially if we can stay injury free potentially stronger than the 99 point team 
Yeah, and, I, and I'd like to just add to that as well, Owen, um, Kelleher as a, as, as a backup to Alisson, which I think uh, I think every time Kelleher has played, he's, uh, he's, he's definitely filled me with confidence uh, when Alisson's not been available. So again, you know, we've, got, we've probably improved in that position as well. Um, so you're right. I, I think we're stronger as a team now, as a squad now going forward. Um, I think probably what we have the benefit of that the other maybe top four clubs don't have, or I say the top four, the, the other clubs that are going for the title probably don't have, is the fact that we have a group of players that have been growing together over the last three seasons now. Um, I think had we not suffered the injuries that we had last season, I think we would have gone pretty damn close to to retaining the title. Um, I, I think, you know, one of the things that I always spoke about last season was the fact that it's not just the fact that Van Dyke's not available. It's not just the fact that Joe Gomez and Joel Matip isn't available. It's the fact that by or through losing those players at the centre of our defence, and then having to compensate for that by putting our two maybe strongest performing midfielders in Fabinho and Henderson in the centre of defence. The core of our team was just decimated. Um, I think you know, we, we, we've addressed that, that, that strength in depth now by bringing in Ibrahima uh, Kanati. Um, obviously, we've got Van Dijk, Joe Gomez, but we've got real good... Uh, um, uh, um, uh, uh, Sorry, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, competition for places in the, in the centre of that defence now. And then I think our midfield options are just huge. Um, I really do think um, that we're in a very good position to go and, and, and get that 20th title this season. I think that a lot of the, the teams going for the title, I think there's going to be a lot of points taken off each other this season. I don't think it's as clear cut. Um, I think, you know, Man City have done their business. They bought in, obviously, Jack, Jack Grealish for, for, for 100 mil. They still haven't addressed their, their striker. Um, concern or you know the number nine concern um you know Manchester United have obviously invested uh, with with the likes of Sancho coming in um again I'm not sure if that's necessarily where they need to strengthen as far as I'm concerned as long as they've got Ollie in the seat um I I, I think they'll always be um if you like a rung below the Chelsea's and the uh, and the Man City and the Liverpools uh, right now because uh, I just don't think Ollie has the the tactical mouse to turn uh, a tight game into a victory necessarily um, uh, as we've seen Klopp do for example when we've uh, come up against you know uh, teams that are, are probably deemed a lot stronger than us in terms of their playing resources so yeah so I think um, I think we're definitely in a strong position more familiarity within the team I think Van Dijk's return just gives the whole team an extra boost and an extra level of confidence so in terms of that high pressing game that we used to play we can play that high pressing game knowing that we've got that insurance at the back again in um, in van dyke and it's, and i tell you what guys i i honestly believe when canati plays his first game i think he's going to be very difficult to shift i i look at the attributes that he has he has that burst of pace that van dyke has he has that 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 <laughs> that strength that van dyke has in one-on-one duels and i i i i'm super excited about seeing the first game where canati is paired up with them with Van Dyke alongside. So um so yeah I'm very confident for the season. That's probably my short answer. Very confident. Um and I think yeah I think we could possibly go close to to hitting the mid nineties again this season as long as we can keep obviously our players fit. That's obviously a, a huge factor in that in that um, yeah uh, uh, projection. I couldn't agree more and I can't believe I forgot to even mention him as, as one of the areas where we've improved. Ebu, yeah, I'm, I'm also equally excited to see him play. Um, he's looked uh, yeah, absolutely brilliant in pre-season. Um, Callie, what about you? I mean, you know, I mentioned it in, in the last cop on that, you know, I, I honestly, I looked at 42 journalists and pundits 
pre-season predictions for the top four and none of them said Liverpool were going to win. Even last week when I was speaking to um, the excellent Joe from the Turfcast Burnley podcast, he put Manchester City ahead of Liverpool this season. And I don't know if if we're deluding ourselves, Callie, by saying that Liverpool, I mean, we could not easily win the league, but we have, I think we'd win the league. I think we're going to win the league, Callie. I don't know. Am I deluding myself? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I'm going to stick my neck out and say that title's coming back to Anfield this season. Um, if you think about it, the team that we've got that are currently playing um, and the team that we've got on the bench is the t- same team that was, what, 25 points clear in January, I think it was, last, you know, the season before last. That absolutely destroyed the league. And, you know, the team last season wasn't that team. It just wasn't that team. And I think people have got short memories. So... Yeah, I'm going to stick my neck on the line and say I'm going to be drawing pictures of um, of the Reds with that with that cup again come, come May. Beautiful answer. I, I, I will, uh, you know, very much look forward to that. That would be absolutely beautiful to see. Brilliant stuff, um, Yoni. What about you? I mean, you're you're you know you're you're another artist. You can see the artistry in this Liverpool team, and I, I, I don't know. We're, uh, it's too early to say because we, you know, we have to see if we're going to win the league. Really, realistically speaking, after our yearly slump uh, in at the end of January, uh, or even through January and February. But uh, I don't know the signs. The initial signs. Um, are you bubbling and brimming with positivity, Yoni? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, th- I, I really look at last season and just write it off because I think. Um, you know, you've got all of the crazy injuries that happened. Um, you know, you've got to take into account that uh, six-game losing streak that we had that was probably one of the worst communal experiences we've all had um, as a fan base. And then, you never mind the injuries, you've just got to take into account the fact that the grounds are full again. And I think, obviously, Anfield as, a, as an atmosphere and an environment makes a huge difference. But I think the players we've got, I think they've got that ferocious mentality that having an atmosphere in every ground makes a difference to them. So I think you could see that at the Norwich game, and I think you'll see that away all through the season as well. I do think like you're absolutely right when you when you look at what we had in 1920 versus what we've got now, and you'd say that the squad is a little bit deeper. Um, some of the players have developed a bit more, and we've got more promising options that have come through from the academy and players like jones and elliot um i think that we are in as at least as strong a position as we've been in the past few years to go and win the title Um, i'm certainly confident and optimistic that it's going to happen i think there's you kind of just have to rely on your own form i think a lot of people look at teams like city chelsea to a certain extent man united and say well look at what they're doing but the simple fact is that there's only ever six points to win between you and those other teams every season, you know, we go out and we beat every other team, which we are beyond capable of doing. We're more than capable of, of beating our rivals at Anfield as well. And I think if you can wind up on 92, 93 points this season, you're going to win it. You know, you look at City, they've already dropped points in their opening game to Spurs. Um, and I think that's going to set a precedent that says that it's not going to be, a, I don't think it has to be a 100-point pace-setting season. And I'm, I'm absolutely certain if... Even if it was just Van Dyke last season who hadn't gotten injured, but the rest of the injury still happened, 
I think we wind up on 90 plus points, become the first team in Premier League history to have three 90 point seasons in a row and retain the title. So I'm absolutely confident we can do it this season. I love it. Love the bullishness. I love the bullishness. Um, uh, Peter, Yoni's just mentioned the idea that we we have to beat our rivals. We're coming up to uh, a game with Chelsea next weekend. Um, they just signed Lukaku for you know, 100 million or whatever it was. Um, They're the European champions. Um, It will be difficult. It will be a huge test. Um, But, you know, how confident are you that we can, you know, get a result at at Chelsea or, or, you know, or in the bigger picture, you know, actually go about winning this league title? How confident are you? I don't want to jinx you. I don't know how everyone can say it this much. It scares me too much to think it will happen again. Obviously, just the gutted that we missed out on it last time. Obviously, I know we won it, but to be there, I think it would have been one of the, you know, the, the best days ever to, as a Liverpool fan. But I think for this season, and I just want us to be in the mix more than we were last year. Obviously, we know the reasons why we weren't last year, and you can't you can't blame them for it. But I just I quite like the fact that we we seem to be like a bit under the radar at the moment, and like you know we were late on match of the day last night, and we were. Everyone seems to be talking about Chelsea and City, and as you say, no one's predicting us to win it. So I reckon we just need to just keep our heads down and just keep trying to go under the radar, keep getting the points. And hopefully, you know, if if we do that, and we can just get ourselves a few points ahead. And obviously, we've already got the the, the advantage on on City. And if we beat Chelsea, and we know there's no reason why we just can't keep going. We know this team can literally they can beat everyone. The only reason we stopped winning when we won the league was just you know they took the we took the foot off the gas, didn't we? And we slowed down a bit. So I think just, yeah, just stay out, stay out the headlines, keep 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 it composed. And I think even like yesterday after the game when we finished and Klopp came up to the cop and everyone was trying to get him to do the big, you know, the big fist pump that we all wanted to see, but he he wasn't up for it. But I think maybe it isn't a bad thing, you know, just just keep us away from all the all the big stories and let us just keep doing our business and hopefully that involves beating Chelsea and you know if we. If we get some results against City, then it's, it, it could be ours to lose. But it's definitely not going to be an easy run, is it? You know, you know what it's like, and we know what a couple of injuries can do if we lose two in the front today. It's just I think that that could really derail us. But I'm sorry to be a pessimist. <laughs> I just hate jinxing it. And uh, but I think it's on. We've definitely got enough, and let's see what happens. Oh, I don't think it's pessimistic. I think it's entirely realistic for every you know. Every kind of, you know, bully, uh, the bull from Bullseye, you know, holding up his tankards of ale. You need your Jim Bowen bringing everyone else down to earth. Uh, so thank you for that. It's absolutely, you know, entirely realistic that we do need to keep our feet on the ground, keep working hard. Nothing is done after two games is a heck of a long way to go. Uh, but at the same time, we've, we've, we've uh, you know, conceded none. Um, we've played two. Uh, we've scored five. Uh, again, for the second week in a row, I've forgotten to talk about Alison Becker, who's been who's been one of the most important players uh, in the past uh, two games. And uh, long may that continue. And perhaps we'll have time next time to get into our um, magnificent uh, stopper, Alison Ramesses Becker. And um, yeah, but for now, I just want to thank you. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Listeners, do check out links in the notes uh, to this podcast in the description of this podcast that I will put out for our esteemed guests 
and uh, our esteemed guests today were uh, Callie, they were Jean, they were Peter Kenny Jones, uh, and they were Yoni Weisberg. And it's absolutely brilliant to speak to all of you. Thank you so very much. And, um, you know, we're all going to look forward to Chelsea, aren't we? Thank you so much, guys. Absolutely. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.